Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We've got a great episode ahead for you today. Our guest will be Aaron Fitt of D1 Baseball. The Vandy Sports Podcast is presented by Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Jody has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many athletes, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate service to all of his patients. Jody never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Special thanks to Jody for being the title sponsor of this season. Today's news is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, all SEC teams are out. The Commodores have a few players on the second and third teams. Defensive lineman Dio Odingbo and Andre Mintz made the teams. Odingbo was a second-teamer, Mintz a third-teamer, and linebacker Dimitri Moore was also a third-team pick. The guest line brought to you by our friends at Bowl and Branch. Started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen, I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets were until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Aaron Fitt joins me from D1 Baseball. He has been a longtime friend and a longtime friend to the podcast. Aaron, I really thought when you and I talked, I don't know when it was, December, January, February, that you and I would talk again uh, between now and then, but we haven't for reasons we know why. Thank you for joining us today and glad to be speaking with you again. Of course, Chris. Always a pleasure to be with you. How much did you hate what happened with baseball season? How hard was that for you to deal with, not just from a journalism standpoint, because the stories that you're asked to write about and the things you're asked to opine about are just endless speculation. But, man, I think we're going to have a great season, especially in the SEC. And I feel like we really missed a rare opportunity with some of the kids. And maybe this is speaking for me personally – I don't know what you feel about that on the whole college basketball or college baseball level, but for me, thinking of the kids I was going to get to watch Vandy go up against this year, and especially the pitching talent, it just breaks my heart that it ended before it started. Yeah, it really it stunk. I mean, you know, it, it stunk for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, certainly for us that really love college baseball, um, we were just getting into the fun part, you know. I mean, I like the first four weeks and then conference stuff, but boy, once you get into to conference play, that's when it really starts to get exciting. And um, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was all ready to get on a plane and, and head down to Gainesville for 
Florida against Georgia. I think they were both ranked in the top three. Um, and it's just like, boom, you know, you hit the brick wall. And I, I couldn't have been more excited for that series, all those big arms, and then it's over. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it was much more shocking to the players and the coaches than it was to, to me as a, as a journalist. But I can only imagine um, the shock to the system that those guys went through. But, uh, yeah, it was hard. You know, it was definitely a weird spring. Um, and uh, I was just really grateful we got to the summer. And, I mean, it's like there wasn't that much summer ball for me to watch. Uh, but I remember going to that first Coastal Plain League game up in Martinsville, Virginia. And it's like, all right, I'm at a baseball game. You know, this is like life just never felt better. I was like, at least there's something. There's something I can, I can, I can go and watch. Um, just really hope that we, we get a regular season next year and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a Major League Baseball fan, but I've never appreciated it. I don't think like I have this year. I sit with my six-year-old son at nights. We watch the Braves for a couple of hours until uh, his mom makes him go to bed usually. <laughs> and <laughs> just to sit and watch baseball again, I mean, I think we all love the game, but then you, that's when you realize what a blessing it really is for all of us. Yeah, no question. You know, I think everyone kind of realized how much they missed sports when we when we didn't have them, and then and then they came back. Um, um, you know, as, as we record this, I'm watching the the U.S. Open uh, on TV, and it's, uh, it's something I've actually haven't gotten to do in 15 years because I'm always sitting at at the press box in Omaha during during the Open. Um, so it's kind of it's that's actually kind of a, a little silver lining here. We get some some weird uh, weird timing with some of our other sports stuff, but um, boy, it's it's just those those first couple of months after the shutdown it was just it was dark there's just nothing to watch there was nothing to do i mean where i was i was at the time i was i was stuck up in massachusetts the weather stunk you know the golf courses were closed i was just going crazy so <laughs> it's just been been that kind of year but things things i think are, are are coming together a little bit now we finally have all kinds of uh, entertainment options here for us i wouldn't say there's nothing to do i think people did a lot of yelling at each other yeah. over the pandemic so you guys, you guys get that anyway in your job, but yeah, less so this year. We've been yelled at less than ever before. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to get soft. <laughs> the funniest thing I thought, and this isn't really funny because I know you guys, and I think you're wonderful people. I know how hard you work and how good you are at your jobs, and how hard you guys try to maintain. And, and I say try sounds like an insult because I think you guys really are unbiased and objective. But the funniest thing that happened, and again, it's not funny, but I checked your your mock regional predictions of what would have happened <laughs> and the issues that people had over that were just like, it was almost comical. I'm like, wait a minute. So he's trying to imagine the season and how it would have played out. And you're taking issue with what it is that he would have imagined. I just found that pretty funny. Oh, that, that is priceless. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I stayed away from the comment section on that because I mean, it, none of it mattered. I mean, it was just a thought exercise. And if you're going to get bent out of shape about, about a thought exercise, a hypothetical field of 64, then I don't know what to tell you. you know, go, go to town, you know, enjoy. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what do you think would have happened in the SEC regular season? And what do you think we would have seen in Omaha? I mean, from a vanity perspective, that team that I saw last they left off, I don't think that was a ready-to-win-the-SEC team, but I think mm. like a lot of Tim Corbin's teams, that might have been the last one standing in Omaha. What were your thoughts on the yeah. SEC and on the national picture based on what you had seen? Yeah, that's. I think first of all, that that's a, a good read on Vandy. I, I agree with you. You know, I mean, um, it was it was going to take some time, 
Um, but uh, certainly with the amount of talent that they had and the trajectory, um, I, I feel like they would have certainly been there at the end. I mean, there's a reason everyone had them ranked as highly as they were in the preseason. But uh, I think, you know, the East was loaded, you know. I mean, Florida and Georgia, with all the arms they had, I, I really thought they were going to be right there as well in the end. Um, you know, and I think I've said before, the re- reason we rank I remember, do we have Florida number one in the preseason? That seems like 100 years ago. But, uh, uh, no, I think should, you had Vandy no, one, Louisville. didn't you? Or Louisville, yeah, that's right. Louisville one, Vandy two. I think Florida might have been three. But Florida was up there. And, and I've said before, I thought Florida was the best team I saw last fall. Um, I mean, just with their with their talent, their depth, and, and everything. And, of course, they got off to a great start. And, um, boy, they're, they're ridiculously loaded heading into next year. But, you know, Florida and Georgia with those arms. And uh, Tennessee was was maybe the big surprise there in the East. I don't know that they had staying power for me. But um, certainly they, they got off to a nice start. You know, 15-2 and two is okay. Um, I think South Carolina would have improved. So, uh, you know, and, and obviously the West was just a, a free fraud. I don't think Alabama was as good as they played against a pretty soft schedule. They went 16-1. and one, But they were clearly improved from a year ago. Uh, I do think Ole Miss was was – quite possibly for real. I really liked what I saw from those guys that first weekend against Louisville. A um, lot of young talent there. They'll be, they'll be a force next year as well. And, um, you know, Mississippi state, I thought was maybe a little vulnerable. Um, I, I like their team a lot heading into the year, but you know, just the, the, the health, you lose JT Ginn and, you know, they had some other guys like Tanner Allen just couldn't stay healthy. You never know if that would have lingered or not. But, um, you know, I, I thought they were they were still good, but not maybe as good as I, as I had thought they were going to be in the fall. Um, Auburn didn't get off to a, a great start, but still like their team a lot. A lot of veterans. I think they would have they would have been a factor in, in LSU. Um Young team, you know, that I think would have been way better in the second half than they were in the first half is kind of typical of a pulmonary team. I uh, still really like their their pitching talent. So all those teams, I think, were factors. I mean, A&M certainly had arms and, um, you know, Arkansas uh, had big bats. I mean, you know, all those teams were dangerous. And I could have seen any one of those teams um, in the West, except for I, I still probably wouldn't put Alabama in this category. But I think any of the rest of those teams were capable of getting to Omaha, you know, and how many got there. It just depends on who's hot in the postseason and who got a good draw or whatever. But all those teams had Omaha ability. Okay, the next question, I could just drop the mic and you could probably spend an hour answering and not be done. But what does the coronavirus pandemic and canceling the season and all that came with it and potential rules changes and scholarship situations. What are the biggest few things that change for next year? And what do you see that changes permanently after all that we have been through? Yeah, that, that is a a key question. Um, You know, I I like some of the relief steps the NCAA took and actually give the NCAA credit, the division one council, they they really took some uh, common sense, measures, which is not something you often uh, always see from the NCAA. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it was only right uh, that they, they recognized that, you know, with that shortened draft and, um, you know, the, the, the cap on, on free agent signing bonuses and, um, you know, and, and the year of, ex- uh, of eligibility that everybody had, there's going to be a roster crunch 
for for a lot of programs. And so I'm, I'm glad they relaxed that 35-man roster cap and the 27-man limit on on counters, you know, guys who have any kind of athletic aid and, and also the 25% minimum scholarship rule. I just think we needed to have more flexibility for everybody. And I think some of those things could stick, you know, really – you could argue that some of those reforms, maybe all of those reforms are outdated. You know, they were, they were put in place, you know, 15 years ago or so, um, as, as a, as a way to, to combat baseball's APR problems, you know, and if you go back, baseball had a lousy academic progress rate because they had a high transfer rate and they had a high transfer rate because, you know, players were allowed to transfer once without sitting out a year. And so that hurt them in the APR formula. And so they, they wanted to, cut that down in order to, to tell players, hey, you can't transfer freely in, in a non-full scholarship sport. They thought they had to give the athletes something else. And so the compromise was, okay, you can't transfer anymore, but we're going to require schools give you a little bit more of a commitment, which is at least 25% scholarship. And that's why they did that. And, and you know, that's why they, they also limited the number of players you could have on scholarship. Um, and the number of players you could have on your roster is all just a matter of trying to uh, prevent players from getting run off or, you know, or, or, or transferring freely. Um, and that all worked. I mean, the package worked. The APR got fixed. Now we're in a spot where it seems like it's inevitable that everyone's going to be able to transfer freely in every sport. Um, that seems like the writing on the wall. And so the rest of that package is kind of unnecessary. And so I think those things are going to stick. I think that uh, we don't necessarily need – we don't need a 25% rule anymore. I think that's definitely unnecessary. Um, and I think the 27-man counter cap is also unnecessary. Now, I'd be fine with keeping a roster cap. 35, I think, is fine. Although, as I understand it, there aren't a lot of sports – baseball might be the only sport that has a hard roster cap. Actually, I don't know if that's true. Uh, but but of, of the of the partial scholarship sports um, – there, you know, a lot of them don't have hard caps. Um, and so, you know, I don't feel strongly about that one either way, but I kind of feel like 35 is a decent number. And so uh, that one maybe could come back, but I, I'm not so sure we'll see the 25% rule and the 27-man cap come back. That's a it's kind of a rambling answer, Chris, but you know what to expect from me. I'm going to ramble. I call it thoroughness is yeah. my word for it. So, and you are always thorough. And let me ask you one other thing. One thing that sort of broke my heart in the aftermath of what happened was the canceling or rumored canceling of programs. I think of what happened at Bowling Green. I think Oral Hershiser and some people maybe brought that one back. Uh, Boise State was another one that had just gotten off the ground. I was really intrigued watching that one from afar. It appeared that program had support. That's an area of the country where there's not a lot of baseball. I just found that story intriguing. People yeah. up there seem to be excited. Where do we leave off with – programs coming and going yeah the Boise State one stunk you know I mean just to see everything that went into bringing that program um getting it off the ground I mean you know they they were excited you're right and and you know the, the staff they put in place was good and they actually got off to a pretty good start uh, in the spring um and uh you know all that effort for nothing and you get four weeks of play and, and they're gonna pull the rug out from underneath you and that's just it just stinks that just it's a bad story um but uh yeah it was good to see Bo uh, bowling green get rescued you know when you have those those alumni kind of band together that's always nice to see um i'd have to look back i'm pretty sure that uh, chicago state is done now 
And, Sounds about uh, right. I mean, they were always already yeah seemed like teetering on the brink with basically everything anyway. So yeah, and I, and I think Akron, if I recall, let's see, I'd have to go back and look. I'm a little hazy on that, Chris, but I feel like there was some some rumbling about Akron, they, another program that had kind of um, been resuscitated recently. I think maybe they're okay. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at that one. I feel like this is the first time I've ever stumped you. Yeah, it's it's it, uh, things that happened two months ago feel like two years ago. I'm just uh, it's 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 that kind of year. I'm, I'm just I'm a little hazy right now. <laughs> it really does. I mean, that's I have trouble remembering things that I covered and what happened in the spring and. You know, you're kind of getting to that stage where you're not locked in because you know what's all about the change with conference play anyway, and then it just ended. I think the weirdest thing for me will be if Jack Leiter goes off the board at one or two next year where he's supposed to go, and that I really only got to see him pitch one year, if that's the way it all goes down next year. Of all the weird things that has happened, kind of the rocker Leiter era getting abbreviated to me will be one of the, the weird, strange, and sad things on my end of coverage. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this is uh, it's a pretty special, you know, one-two punch right there. And uh, it'll be exciting to see what they can do. You know, just just enjoy the ride here that, that you got. But it is it is a shame that you didn't get to see that, uh, you know, for, for two full seasons together. That would have been a lot of fun. Well, you knew my guys in my audience were come, going to come with questions, and they came with plenty. So my question is, are you ready to answer these? All right, let's do it. That's a dumb question because, of course, you are. But anyway, the mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, this one comes in from Anonymous. He says, why is VU Hawk Talk the most handsome tweeter? <laughs> I wonder who said that one in. That's no idea. One. No idea. Um, I, you know, I, I just think it's hard work. You know, I mean, the, the guy goes out there every day, and, you know, it, it's probably a lot of product in the hair. Uh, I'm thinking that's a, that's a key piece. You know, just get tip your cap to the guy. He never, never lets up. Lots of product in the hair for sure. Uh, he also wants to know your thoughts on Ethan Smith. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, a guy that uh, uh, I know some scouts are, are quite high on. I mean, why, why would you not be? It's a big arm. You know, I mean, we, we've seen the, the premium velocity and then the, the swing and miss slider. Um, you know, I, I do think that uh, the command piece isn't really a, a, a finished product yet, but it's it's not bad either. I mean, I, I think this guy's got a chance to make a pretty good jump in the draft lists for next year. Now, you know, there's some guys that aren't, aren't as sold on it. Um, you know, from our conversations with scouts, um, we've heard anywhere from, you know, third round to five to seven, you know, um, there, there is some variance of opinion on that one, but I, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued personally. And, uh, I think the upside is very exciting. I think this question comes out of the feature that you guys wrote, I guess it was last year about the number one overall program. There was deliberation between Vanderbilt and Florida. I think this question is just asking you to check in mm. on that again. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a heck of a debate, you know. Um, I think we did we talked must have talked about that last time, um, and and you know, 
I thought our staff was divided on it. I mean, uh, I think I, I think I threw Kendall under the bus last time we had this discussion. I mean, Kendall was the one who was more in the Florida camp for me. I mean, I think Florida Vanderbilt with the extra national title that weighs more heavily in my mind, um, considering they're they're so similar in a lot of ways. But you know, all those Omaha runs for Florida, you can along with one national title, sure, you can make the case for them and getting that getting that brand new palace um that played a factor for, for florida as well you know infrastructure was 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 a piece of that discussion is you know which programs are the, the best long-term shape certainly i like what vanderbilt has done with the the pitching lab and all the uh improvements they, they've made to the hawk over the years but uh they can't really compete with what florida's has built over there um you know but i mean it's 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 take your pick on those two really it's uh they both have done an incredible job obviously over the last decade plus and those are by far the the two premier programs in college baseball and uh, they have been for you know this is the second time we we've done this exercise and and they've been one two uh, second time in a row um so that's uh the last last at least last four years now those have been the, the two best programs in the country and it's been pretty stable Last one from Anonymous. He says, where does this coming Vanderbilt team rank in terms of talented pitching staffs over the last 20 years? Hmm. Well, that's, that's, a, boy, that's a good one. I mean, they're loaded. You know, obviously, you might have the top two picks in the draft um, leading the way. That's a pretty good place to start. Uh, not a lot of programs have, have been in that position. Certainly, you think about, you know, Trevor Bauer and, and Garrett Cole, who went number one, number three overall. Um there wasn't as much depth on that UCLA staff, but you, you also had Adam Plutko, who was a big leaguer. Is your Sunday starter? That's pretty good. Um, you know, so that, that would be one that, that sticks out in my mind. Um, I mean, Vanderbilt itself has had some incredibly loaded pitching staffs over the years, of course, with the, you know, the 20, 2014, 15 years, um, all those guys, Bueller and Fulmer and, um, you know, just ridiculous amount of depth on those staffs. Hayden Stone at his best. Um, that was a lot of fun too. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this this team's got a chance to be right up there. And, you know, when it's all said and done with the start power at the top and, and the depth, that combination, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the, the number one on that list when it's all said and done. Well, I don't know how much you got to see in the abbreviated season, but, but their freshman right-handers were yeah. really something. That's the thing that I think was going to put them over the top for last year and or this year was they had so many it you and I have talked about this at length on and off podcast like the issue that they have had recently is the inability to throw strikes and this staff last year those kids were coming in and it was you'd have kids that would throw four innings and strike out eight and walk one or none and it just seemed like that happened every week and I think that's the thing that has a chance to make them special next year and would have last year. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. You know, you look at the strikeout walk numbers that, you know, Michael Doolin and Thomas Schultz and Sam Labaki put up there as, as true freshmen. That's pretty loud. Um, and and certainly, you know, that was, I think, a, a point of emphasis for Vanderbilt was to improve in that regard, the strike throwing category. And boy, did they. Um, yes, that's that's very exciting going forward to have those guys as building blocks. Dan Meenash wants to know starters for next year, weekday and weekend, and any chance of early enrollee Christian Little taking one of those spots. I assume yeah. by starters he means just pitching, but right. uh, boy, that's that's going to be fun to figure out. I think we know two of them. It's just what do you do yeah. with the rest of the spots? 
Yeah, and, and and I think you know it makes a whole lot of sense to just stick Ethan Smith back in that rotation. He, he proved he could he could start last year, and uh, um, he's got experience and he's got he's got stuff. So for me, I mean, I think that's the easy call as the you know the third weekend guy. Um, now there's going to be competition for that. But I would expect, assuming Little shows up in January, I would expect them to ease him in, you know, especially not having a fall as a as a freshman when there's not like a, a you know urgent need for him to step right into a starting role. I'd be very surprised if if that happened. Um, now it it could happen, I guess, maybe as a midweek guy, uh, but uh, I, I suspect that would happen more like later in the year, um, you know, especially with those returning freshmen we talked about that all have such innate strike throwing ability. I, I would think one of those guys would, would be the, the likely midweek guy. Yeah, the midweek thing for them is, again, it's going to be pity whoever plays them on Wednesdays yeah. and Tuesdays because they're not going to see anything like that on the weekends. But Which begs something. Like, we have awards for everything in college baseball, don't we? Like that Brooke, Brooks Wallace. and yeah. Don't we need, like, a midweek starting pitcher yeah. award? Like call there it the Bueller go. Award or the yeah, Hickman Award. I was going to say the yeah. Bueller Award. <laughs> yeah, I guess Hickman too. Right? We're both the Dynamos in midweek play, uh, or Adam the Adam Warren Award. There you go, a big leaguer who uh, I think was like thirteen and zero as a midweek starter as a sophomore. Yeah, there have been some some guys that have used that midweek uh, spot as as a you know as as a vault to do really big things the next year, and certainly Vanderbilt more than anybody you know with the the, the kind of arms that they've run through there. Danby Nash wants to know Vanderbilt's prospects for getting to Omaha next year. I think they're pretty darn good. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that they're going to be right there, you know, in the top two or three in the preseason rankings for everybody once again. I mean, I, I, I suspect, eh, I mean, it's probably them or Florida, you know, at the, at the top. Imagine that. Um, surprise, surprise. But uh, top of my head, those are the two teams that I like the best on paper. And so, yes, I like Vanderbilt's chances quite a bit. Where does Louisville factor in? Yeah, they're, I mean, always a factor, you know, but uh, they, they lost, they lost some key pieces. No more Reed Detmers, of course, no more Bobby Miller. I mean, that was the reason they were number one last year. Primarily was um, that the rotation and, and those two guys are gone. Um, but uh, they, they still have a lot of depth on the mound and um, offensively, you know, led by a healthy Alec Benellis and, uh, Lucas Dunn. I mean, I think they're going to be very good once, once again, probably a, you know, a comfy top 10 kind of a club. Mr. Vandy wants to know who you think Vanderbilt's leaders at the plate will be next year. I'm expecting big things from Isaiah Thomas. Now I, I think this is his time. Certainly he's, you know, he's a premium athlete. Um, and he's, he's flashed you some real ability and he hit for some power in, in the, the limited, spring um i think he got a chance to be pretty special you know i, th- I think i could see a, a a big jump coming from him in, in in the power speed you know mold there's just not a lot of guys with that kind of tool set so uh, i think he's exciting i you, i think you know i love cooper davis i mean just guys that uh uh get off base over and over again he always makes you work he can run i mean he's just a tone setter i i'm, I'm all in on, on that guy having a big year um you know, and and Parker Nolan strikes me. Don, Dom, Dominic Keegan, both those guys are uh, breakout guys. You know, physical, strong-bodied guys that I think uh, can make make a big jump next year. Did you get a chance to see C.J. Rodriguez? I have seen him before, and I, I certainly 
Uh, I certainly like him quite a bit. You know, I mean, it's just he looks so good, so comfortable behind the plate. Um, and he's just, he's just there's a lot of fluidity, I think, to his swing. I do think he's going to hit. Um, and I think he's going to do a really good job with the staff. I just, yes, I'm, I'm in on that one too. That's going to be one of those next year, like if you want a little fun podcast thing, like see how long he goes between strikeouts because he was like the, um, oh, good grief, what's the, the Oregon State second baseman who never struck out? Um, he was only first team All-American. Magic- yes, it, it's like that kind of contact ability. He is like, that's hard to find anyway, but especially in this, you know, uppercut launch angle era, it was really wild to watch him approach his at-bats last year because he just – I think he struck out twice. I think one of them was looking maybe, but it was crazy to watch him hit because nobody takes that approach anymore. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I like that. I like guys that put the ball in play. and um, Yeah, that's a great great call. That's definitely, a, I mean, a breakout guy. You have that kind of bat-to-ball instinct. Uh, and I didn't mention Carter Young. I mean, a guy that strikes out more. But uh, a guy that has, I think, a lot of ability, certainly on the defensive side as well as uh, offensively. There's bat speed, you know. I mean, it's uh, that's an exciting talent, too. Jor Fan says, what can we expect from Christian Little the coming season? I don't know how much you've gotten to see him play because your never. summer was eaten into, no. and so you may be flying in the dark on that one. Yeah, I've never seen him. I mean, I've certainly I've, I've read the reports like everybody, and it sounds pretty darn good, and it sounds very polished, you know, which uh, – uh, that's that's what made Rocker, you know, freshman of the year, and um, that's what I think made Jack Leiter stand out as a freshman. I mean, it's it's stuff and polish, you know, and he's in that mold. Dorfan says, and you may have hit on some of this earlier. Because of the pandemic, might we see a later start to the coming season, like yeah. Eric Backage was proposing, and could that develop into a permanent change? Would a permanent change face the same tough road the unpaid assistant issue faced? I do think we are very likely to see a later start date uh, in 2021. Um, we're hearing a lot of talk about March 1st. Um, you know, just to, I suspect we'll, there's, there's a chance we could also see fewer games this year. Now that I don't think will stick. Hopefully it doesn't stick. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know that we're necessarily going to push the end of the season back this year, but I do think we'll probably start it later. Um, you know, just for because of COVID concerns, and you, you're probably going to see more four-game series. Um, you know, less midweek action, if any. I mean, honestly, there's been some some talk that teams are just going to scrap the midweek thing altogether. You know, and just do just do four-game series on weekends and try to get their games in that way. Um, but I think those changes are temporary. Those are just COVID changes. Now, I am intrigued by the idea of once we get that start date pushed back. Um, could that lead to, you know, a gradual transition to, to the new baseball model where you are actually, you know, playing from, from March into July instead of February to June? Um, I would like to see that personally. I know there are some logistical problems that come along with that. Um, you know, the administration doesn't really want to keep a bunch of people on campus in the summertime. Um, but, uh, if they can get over that hurdle, boy, I just think there's a lot of upside for baseball. If we could actually have more of the season played during baseball weather and less of it played in the wintertime. Yeah, I'm with you. I To me, as much as I love college baseball, there's nothing worse than watching you know, Vanderbilt and Brown in 30-degree weather when it's a mismatch and everybody's fingers are frozen. And uh, That just to me is – it doesn't even resemble the same baseball we see at the end of the season. So. Right. 
I think that's a good place to start. I did want to ask you. Um, well, let me. I, I'll tell you what I've forgotten, but I'll go on to the next one, and it'll come back to me. Dorfan wants to know where the unpaid assistant issue stands. Uh, I think that issue is in hibernation right now. Um, yeah, I won't call it dead because I think it'll visit it at some point. But uh, right now, with all the the budget crises facing all these athletic departments, the last thing they're really looking to do is is add expenses. Um, you know, I, I like that they allowed as a compromise measure at least they've they've allowed teams to to pay their volunteers using you know booster funds and such since there were no camps this year and and camps are the primary source of revenue for those guys so i like that you know again common sense measure at least in the short term um i don't think that will lead immediately to actually converting those positions to paid i I would obviously like to see that happen um I think the COVID thing shook everything up and and put that issue back on the back burner. I remember my question. It's about the draft because one of the things that I hated last year was we didn't get to see the draft in Omaha. I believe that's moving to the all-star game in Atlanta. I have not followed where that's going long-term, but what do you know on that? Yeah. What a bummer. It it sounds like we missed our chance. (laughs) We missed our chance on that. You know, if they had had it in Omaha and it went well and it was a a big hit, I think it would have stayed there long-term and, uh, it would have been great, I think, frankly, for college baseball and 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 you know and um, for pro ball. But uh, it looks like that ship has sailed. I, I don't I don't necessarily expect that to come back um, to Omaha. You know, like they've talked about. I mean, if they're going to push it back to the All Star Weekend, yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world either. At least we don't have to deal with the draft uh, during our season anymore. So if that's where it stands, um, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I think at least if it goes to All-Star Weekend, the coverage will be better. It'll be more of a high-profile event, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of us have wanted to see anyway. Yeah, I agree. So really, you know, that's that's not a bad solution. As much as I think it would have been fun to have the draft right before the College World Series, it also would have been kind of stressful, you know, that, that week for all those kids who are still playing. Uh, and, and for us, Chris, trying to cover the whole thing. Uh, next one is from VU65. Do you think Enrique Bradfield will start in center field, and what do you think of his potential? Again, that's one that I don't know how much you've gotten to see because you've not been to Vanderbilt right. to see fall ball yet, so I don't know what you happen to scrape up on the summer circuit. But it may be a tough one for you to bite off, but I'll let you have a hack at it there. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait until I get to get to see Vandy to, to offer a lot on that. I mean, I know that he's got game changing speed, you know, that's the tool, you know, left-handed hitter that can fly. I love that profile. Um, looking forward to seeing what he can do, but yeah, until I, I get a better sense, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know right now how ready he is. A Hillman eight, seven says with Jason Gonzalez, Cooper Davis, Isaiah Thomas, et cetera. I think the batting lineup is going to be a good blend of older guys mm. and younger, unproven talent. I think it's overblown that the lineup will be the weak link. And he wants your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm with him. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the the arms, you, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, you don't have maybe the, the elite proven guys in the lineup. And so relative to the pitching staff, okay, you, you think that's the weak link, but relative to other lineups, other high end teams, I like their, I like their lineup. I mean, I like the talent um, a lot. And, and I like the fact that at least some of those guys got some experience last year. It wasn't as much experience as you'd like them to get, but um, it, you know, it, it helped. I mean, all of a sudden some of those, those, those players do have um, some at bats under their belts against pretty good pitching because Vanderbilt played a good non-conference schedule. So, 
uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's versatile. I think it's, uh, you know, it's got depth. You know, there's different combinations that they can roll out there. We hadn't t- even talked about Jason Gonzalez. That's certainly an X-Factor guy. We've been waiting for him to put it all together. I mean, uh, he's been kind of a fall American, if you will, um, the last couple of years. Every time I've gone and seen Vanderbilt in the fall, I've been like, wow, Jason Gonzalez looks like a breakout guy. I mean, it just you know, he can do a lot of things to help you. So now he needs to do it. He's going to end up having the strangest career if he comes back and he's a, a real factor because in in the last time he played was, I guess, 18 or 19. And, and like he was – not going to say he was winning the third base job. I can't remember now if he got hurt or what the deal was, but he had like a 450 on base percentage. But what happened was they had so many guys who hit and somebody got hurt and somebody got hot – and they moved somebody here to there, and he got left out in the squeeze. So, like, poor kid was sitting there really hitting well, loses his job, really is a complete non-factor the last two months of the season, doesn't play last year, and now tries to come back next year. That's just going to be a very interesting story to see how he responds to all that. And I know how much Tim Corbin uh, likes the kid and his family. I remember in Omaha a couple years ago hanging out in the – the Hilton lobby with, with Corbs and, and the Gonzalez family. And it was, it was clear, you know, how much respect and, and rapport there was there. And, uh, and I know how happy he is to get Jason back and, um, you know, and see what he can do. All right. There's, here's your favorite question. And I think you know what it is before I even say it. It's about scholarships. He says, why does media keep overblowing everything that is Vanderbilt related in terms of scholarships when it's been discussed repeatedly? Um, I, I will give you a little pretext for the question and, and this is where I think nobody ever talks about it from this way. Like, if you look at what the kids are paying and not what they're getting in scholarships, I think he would probably make the case that their kids may pay as much as anybody mm-hmm. in the country. And, and I think that's a fair point. I don't know if that ever gets brought up in the mainstream media discussions. You would know better than I would. But I, I think he's right. I mean, I think they did have some major kids paying thirty or 40000 to play. So if you look at it from the scholarship perspective, yeah, they're getting a lot of money. But if you look at it from the perspective that it costs 75 a year to go there, sure. um, it's still not cheap. Yeah, but they're also – they have a lot of guys that are that are paying a lot less than that too. I mean, No doubt. Do, you know, and, and I don't – I'm not complaining about that. I think it's great. You know, the, the more – the more premium talent we can get into the college baseball, the better. And I think every school should be able to use whatever resources are at their disposal. And yes, there are there are guys who are, you know, maybe you're on, um, maybe you're on fifty percent academic aid. That's a big scholarship, but you're still paying thirty five grand. Okay, yeah, I, I get it, you know. But there's also a lot of guys who are who are getting more than that, and that's great that Vanderbilt has the ability to do that. Uh, and it, it is a big advantage, but it is also necessary for a private school to compete. You know, there's a reason that Vanderbilt has become one of the elite programs in the country, while Miami, you know, has not been able to maintain that kind of consistency, or USC or Tulane, these programs that were maybe, you know, at the top of the college baseball world 20 years ago. Um, they don't have the kind of academic aid that Vandy has and uh, or institutional aid. And, and so – you know, it's just impossible for them to compete year in and year out like it like it is for Vanderbilt, like it is for you know Stanford. Stanford should be a lot better than they are with the resources they have. That, that also kind of shows you that just having resources is, doesn't guarantee you success. I mean, Rice has has those resources too, you know, and they've dropped off. Um, but uh, you know, really, I think Vanderbilt, Stanford, and Rice are in a class apart from everybody else in the private school discussion. Um, they still have a lot of disadvantages 
relative to the elite, you know, baseball programs of the public school realm. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of things that LSU can do uh, that even Vanderbilt can't do. Um, And I find it rich when LSU fans dare to complain about Vanderbilt's scholarship situation. But uh, it is what it is. People like to complain about things. Well, look, you get kids because of your brand, and LSU gets them in yeah. football because of its brand, and Alabama gets them in football because of its brand. And look, I mean, there's, there's there's always things that are quote unfair at any place. I mean, it's it's not fair that schools have advantages, you know, in certain things if you want to play yeah. it that way. But everybody's always got an advantage, and you sell it. And in my opinion, the reason they get kids is because of the brand. I mean, if they were no offense, but if they're Tulane with the same scholarship, they don't get the same kids. Right. I think it's what he's created. Oh, exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, certainly the uh, – well, I think Rice and Stanford are better analogs than Tulane just because Tulane doesn't have the the uh, institutional aid. But, you know, Tulane at their, at their peak before Katrina, I mean – 2005, they'd built something there. You know, they were they were draw, drawing five or six thousand fans a night. They had a beautiful ballpark. They were number one team in the country, number one national seed heading into Omaha. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden, the hurricane happened and they lost all that momentum. But you know, could they have had the hurricane not happened? Could they have sustained that? I don't know that they could have with their scholarship situation. I just don't think that the year in year out consistency uh, was really ever a realistic possibility for for a program like them, or even in, in this era, Miami. You know, and Miami's a, one of the great traditional powers in college baseball. Obviously, USC as well. Um, they don't have any kind of institutional aid to speak of, and so it just you know br- your brand only gets you so far uh, when it costs seventy grand a year to go there. Aaron, we're done with the mailbag. We got through that quicker than I thought we would. I feel like we covered a lot of ground, but is there anything on Vanderbilt or on college baseball in general that you feel is worth hitting before we end the show today? Just looking forward to, uh, you know, to getting eyes on, on the Commodores. That's always a highlight of, of every fall for me. Um, last year I got to see them out in Kansas city against Oklahoma state, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm really glad I got to do that since I didn't get a chance to see them in that four week season. I got robbed on that one. Uh, but, uh, the talent level is, is so high every year and, and boy, I mean, they've done it again. You know, when you look at the incoming class in addition to what was returning and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really fun year, uh, for Vandy. It's going to be a great year in the SEC as, as usual. Um, you know, fingers crossed that everything goes smoothly this fall and I get a chance to get out there and, and see these guys in person. Aaron, you guys do an unbelievable job at D1 Baseball, not just covering Vanderbilt, but covering everybody. I read your stuff, and I just get tired from exhaustion, wondering how you guys do it all, uh, because there's so much info there. Tell folks about what you guys do, whether you can find your work, your podcast, anything that you would like to promote before we end the episode today. Yeah, we we try to cover Division I baseball uh, better than anybody, and – if you go to our website, of course, you'll, you'll be able to find uh, analysis and news from our, our fantastic staff, you know, Kendall Rogers, Eric Sorensen, David Seifer on the Prospects Beat, and, um, you know, Walter Villa writing some of the best features out there. I mean, I really feel strongly about uh, the work that our staff does. Mark Etheridge, you know, such a great postseason analyst. Um, lot, lots of good content. Uh, at baseball.com you can certainly uh, find our podcasts uh, you know wherever you get your podcasts and we're, we're trying to do more off-season podcasts something we haven't been that great at uh, but uh, we're, we're trying to, to do more of those 
And uh, we've got some some exciting things in the pipeline this fall. Lots of fall reports. Uh, we usually, you know, try to get out and see as many teams as we possibly can every fall, and and write in depth previews for all of them. So check that out uh, at d1baseball.com. Aaron, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure we will catch up with you again uh, between now and the start of next baseball season. Who knows? Maybe even after you swing through Nashville, that would be really good to catch up if we could. Sounds good, Chris. Always, uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Same here. He's Aaron Fit of D1 Baseball. I'm Chris Lee of the Andy Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more episodes later next week.